Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, campus pastor at Conduit Church, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler. And uh, I guess it's kind of a big day. It's an enormous day. I mean, today's my birthday, but 42, when you turn 42 on a Wednesday, it feels so appropriate. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's midweek. Because it's an unremarkable birthday? Is that what you mean? Yeah. 42 is not a big deal? It's not a big deal. It's, it's midweek. It's like mid decade. You know, it's just kind of like, it's like the most appropriate day to turn 42 is on a Wednesday. Here's the question that I, that I was thinking about for you, as as far as unremarkable. So this, obviously, your your birthday's in March, every year, every year. And one of the things that people don't know about you, I don't think, is that you have this uncanny ability to times of the year that you remember what band I was listening to in the spring. Absolutely. So like, is this a switchfoot season? Is this a fold Zandura season? Fold Zandura? You just pulled out fold Zandura? Hey, it's an option in your in your playlist. Wow. That is such a deep, deep cut reference. Um, no, it's actually a third eye blind season okay. for me. I don't know if I respect that. Third eye blind? Oh, gosh, yeah. So you have to understand, <laughs> the summer in which I graduated high school, that album uh, exploded. It was massive. Third eye blind. And so that is like graduation season, spring, the turn of a new uh, you know, season of life for me. You know, after high school, it's when I met my wife. So, so that at some point today, will you pull up a Third Eye Blind record? No doubt about it, a hundred percent. What's go to on your on your on your playlist with Third Eye Blind here? Because I was thinking you were going to say like Hoobastank or something, but like, <laughs> no, that was like ten years later, bro. Uh, no, just like um, I, I don't know that I can name a Third Eye Blind song. Well, I mean, they were just they're self titled. The self-titled album came out in 97. And so Losing a Whole Year, Semi-Charmed Life, Jumper, Graduate. I mean, those are like multi-million streaming songs. I mean, they're just, they're actually coming to Franklin. Did you know this? Third Eye Blind? Yeah. Yeah, they're coming to Franklin. The Greystone Quarry Amphitheater. Can they sell enough tickets to come to Franklin? 100%. It'll be sold out. If it's not already. Okay, so that's like, what, 8,000? Um, Greystone? I think so. Third Eye Blind. You mean to tell me they can sell 8,000 tickets? See, this is, this is, this is the difference between, a, a decade difference between you and I. Like, you weren't listening. I mean, you were, how old were you? I was, well, honest, I'm embarrassed about so, <laughs> I was listening to the Bare Naked Ladies. <laughs> I was listening to Edwin McCain. Well, I was listening to all them, too. Uh but that was gin blossoms. Uh, see, that's actually, I actually would respect that less. If you if you would have said gin blossoms, actually, if, there's a <laughs> as far as the but, a hierarchy, there's a hierarchy of butt ba- uh, butt rock bands, and uh, for sure, uh, gin blossoms was like, oh, like they were like the emo chain smoking, but like menthols. Like you didn't smoke <laughs> real cigarettes when you're listening to the gin blossoms. Um, but third eye 
I guess I could. I just didn't know that they could still sell tickets. Like the Gin Blossoms, they're probably working at like Home Depot now. But no, they're still out touring. Gin Blossoms, hundred percent playing what like clubs like Third and Lindsley. Uh, no, they're. I mean, they're still doing. They're still Gin, doing stuff. The they, Gin Blossoms. Yeah. You're, or maybe that's the decade. I mean, look, because here's the thing. Like I've got tickets to see the Eagles. And I know nothing of the, of the Eagles. And I I'm missed it. Borderline about to have a religious experience with the Eagles, but but by the '90s. Oh gosh, ninety-seven. I mean, I was a grown-up making grown-up decisions. I was making babies by ninety-seven. Like we had babies. Yeah, I was in high school. Okay, so that's the, that's kind so, of the difference. Is what I'm saying. Like yeah, the Eagles. Okay. Like I miss the Eagles train. Really. I mean, I, I, I'm familiar with them just because they were so popular. I heard them on radio in passing, but I didn't have, I didn't have. You had the same experience with those Eagles records, in the time of life that you were in that yeah. I had experience with, like. The third yeah, the Eagles, and the Chicago. We had Chicago. That was the greatest hits era. Of the yeah, I missed all that, dude. I, I literally broke up with a girl once just so I could listen to the Chicago record because it was such a great breakup record. Um, which is a terrible thing, and if she ever she'll never hear this. But I've, one day in heaven, I'm have to apologize to her. But like people like the Chicago era of the '80s, like had the best breakup songs of all time. <laughs> um, and they say this by the way uh, that whatever you're listening to by the time you're 18 to 20 years old. That you're gonna dial in with that for kind of the rest of your life. Yeah, I agree. So is that so third, third eye blind would be. Yeah, that. like the the '90s, late '90s, uh, pop rock is like what I would listen to all the time. Fascinating. Wallflowers, and, Foo Fighters, Nirvana, like that's that's where I'm dialed in. I'm dialed into Brian Adams waking up the neighbors. <laughs> That's uh, a whole. That's a whole. It's decade. a decade. Yeah, yeah that was when Mutt Lang married Shania Twain. He was still that just like creepy uh, producer up in Canada that nobody knew, but somebody married Shania. But it's why a Shania record, a Def Leppard record, uh, and a Brian Adams record all sounded the same because he could stack vocals for days, man. Like just scream rock or just chorusy rock and roll. Brian, I, I I would say that that record, the Brian Adams Waking Up the Neighbors record, is one of the greatest records of all times from that era, and and I was 19 years old when I discovered it, and I, to this day when I'm feeling you know feeling pretty frisky and pretty rock and rolly, I'll, I'll throw some Brian Adams Brian Waking Adams. Up, yeah, <laughs> and you throw on Third Eye Blind. <laughs> well, I don't know how we got into a little music podcast. Well, we did because uh, it's that the, you have that is a trait that I don't know anybody else, and maybe they just don't talk about it. That you remember uh, records by the month of the season, like yeah, like when they came out and when, like what what season of life they made an impact on me. Yeah, like I've walked, yeah, I've walked in um on, in your office and you've got some random, I don't know if it's ever been Fold Sandura, but you've some <laughs> band, and I'm like, what you know, what brought that up? Oh, they, that record came out in February of you know, that year, yeah, '99 or whatever, and so I always, and every February I listen to that record. Yeah, it's kind of like a, it's like a. Uh, it's like a file marker in my brain like it like it just makes a mark an indention in my in my in my digital brain files that I know that whenever we come to that month that it just pulls it back up yeah from years and years ago I don't know I, there's there's probably science behind all that you know sounds and smells and songs and yeah. you know I'm sure that's a thing um but yeah, music is leaves a, a mark in, in huh. all that. And forty two years of it today. Yeah, today. Today. Forty two, man. I was thirty eight when Conduit became a church. Wow. Forty two that was was that how old I was when you came 
on staff? Um, yeah, roughly. Yeah, yeah. Eight Pass years it. ago. Oh man. Yeah, here, here we go. <laughs> Shannon sent me. Um, you know, iPhone does that little thing where hey, here's some pictures, and we'll make a little, we'll put a little music behind it, and whatever. She sent me one from like from church, and it was. Uh, it seemed like it took over a span of a few years, but like. There was definitely in that era, like the it could have been like the aging of Darren, like fast forward, like a time lapse video of Darren getting old, and I felt old at forty two, but now I'm going, oh man, I gotta kind of wish. So. My problem is uh, at the moment is the rapid increase of gray hair that's that's happening for me. I mean, it is taking on, I mean, it's speeding, it's accelerating, yeah. and I just have to embrace it, especially in the coming months as I become a grandfather um but you know but you know it's good because i do have a head full of hair yeah there is something to be said about having hair to go gray yeah like i i catch myself trying not to complain because sometimes i'll <laughs> complain to somebody who's you know maybe not as maybe maybe more follically challenged than i've been <laughs> and and i feel kind of guilty about it uh but honestly, I'm thankful because I don't have a good skull. So some guys, they're going, ball, they got a good skull. Like Nick Departy, he's got a really, it's not misshapen. Like there's no dings or dents. And He's a handsome man. Yeah, I don't know what's under here, but I don't think it's good. So I kind of, you know, this is all I got to play with at this but point. Man, so man, it's just, it's just, it's been fueled recently. Yeah. I, don't know, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if it's just genetics or stress, but man. Well. I'm embracing it. I feel like if. The silver if, fox. If if stress really does have anything to play with it, like the gig that you have, certainly, I, I mean, I could see how it, it would play into that for sure. Yeah. To that end, this past Sunday, <laughs> part of your gray hairs, we tried, we tried to 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 jump into Romans fifteen, and we promised our listeners that we would be teaching Romans fifteen this week. Mm-hmm. Um. We kind of got to it, but the Spirit was moving on Sunday, an incredible time of worship, an incredible time of sharing, um, had a couple of really special moments, which left you about 15 to 20 minutes yeah. to teach uh, the first part of Romans 15. So you kind of did the, uh, I think you called it the, the Costco sample Yeah, the version. Costco sample. Donna Van Leer referred to it as the Chick-fil-A drive through <laughs> version. <laughs> Which I really appreciate. Yeah, that. I thought that was actually better than the Costco sample. Because I tried to get a full meal. We just had to eat it quick. The Costco one is you're just getting a bite and you got to go. But It was a really fun Sunday. Um, yeah, it was. I mean, you know, the younger charismatic, uh, more charismatic version of Darren is, you know, you're supposed to just have the worship leader take another lap and then you know, do the altar call. and uh, But... It's, you know that wasn't happening, and so instead of trying to force something, you know, I just thought, well, this is what we're going to do, and uh, and it got us out almost on time, well, almost. Yeah, and so the first part of Romans 15, you shared a little bit about kind of the the central theme, and we talked a little bit about this last week, but it's it's unity in the church. Yeah, it's, and I'm trying to keep. I keep coming back to I'm I'm using the word unity because I think that's the right word. But in our Christian culture, especially in the last 30 years, that word has come to mean so many things. That's true. And so, you know, part of it is like, you know, what's the word for if, you're, if your dad is like, if your dad comes in, I had three brothers, there were four of us total. And there was a moment when sometimes dad would walk in like, good Lord, could you guys just get along? Like, that's kind of like 14 and 15 
Paul to this church. He's like, come on, guys, can we just get along here? Can we not be so petty with each other? And for Paul, if you remember in chapter 14, he actually says, so if I, you know, the, the truth is if I live, I live for the Lord. If I die, I die for the Lord. Like that wasn't like uh, ethereal. That was a real thing. Like that was a real option. Like, am I going to live or am I going to die? I literally don't know. And in that ideology of like, that's your reality. Can we actually not focus on the petty things because there's some big things happening here. And in our culture, it's not quite to the place where we're making live and die decisions. But in our culture, we are making, um, are we going to be excommunicated decisions? Are we going to be marginalized decisions? Um, are, are we going to be pulled off of Twitter, off of social networking? Are we going to be uh, cast away from our friends and family decisions? Some of Yeah, and some of those decisions are, are big decisions. I would say a good portion of those decisions, however, are the most petty. Yes. Like the smallest yeah. pebble in the shoe gets the most attention. Yeah. Seemingly. And so, what you know, Paul, you know, chapter 15, verse 1, obviously, we all know, no chapter breaks, no verses in the original letter. So this is just contiguous thought from chapter 14, you know, going on to it. So, hey, you guys who are strong, like, bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Uh, each of us should please our neighbor for their good to build them up. Now, he's talking specifically about their doctrinal issues. Um, for, for them, chapter 14, it was days and diets. What day of the week do you worship, and what, what can you eat in your diet? And those, they might, those might seem um, minuscule to us, but they, were, they became pretty important to some people there. And so Paul's suggestion for helping them get through this, and I say Paul, the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God for them, for us, was, hey, for somebody uh, who is weak, and the the word weak there, uh, I, I think, could be applied in a way that there are areas of my life where I'm strong, and there are areas of my life where I'm weak. So I want to say that I'm strong, but there are other areas where I'm weak. And ultimately, if it's about a doctrinal issue, weak means weak in faith, because in an area where I'm trying to do something that earns my salvation, that earns my purpose and meaning with Christ, so I'm going to worship on this day because this is so important. If that's what's important to you, your faith is weak there because I'm actually using my faith to in, in the day of the week and not in the work of Jesus. So it doesn't mean you're a weak Christian. It just means that in that area you're trusting more in, in, in a work than you are in, in Christ. Right, yes. And so those of us that are there, like— bear those uh, of someone who isn't. So don't rub, rub your freedom in Christ in, in their face. Uh, uh, in our, I've, I've referenced this uh, here, but in Nashville specifically, the, the one that comes the most to mind to me is, is alcohol. Um, biblically speaking, there is very much no command against drinking wine. Jesus had wine at the Last Supper. I could go on and on, and, and, and you know that is a that is a true statement. And on the other side, there are at least seventy-eight passages that I know of in the Bible that talk about when you drink to excess, what's going to happen? No hard drink for the kings. Uh, wine is a mocker. Like they're, they're all there. I could yeah. I could give you both sides of those because I've lived on both sides of those. And so, in our world, Nashville specifically, I mean, go to Europe. Nobody's having this conversation, by the way. Correct. 
uh, but here they are. And so it's like, hey, for those of you that uh, that you enjoy freedom in Christ with 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 a refreshing beverage, uh, a don't judge the person who doesn't, and also don't. Um, I, I, one of the very first times I, I went on a, uh, a horseback riding retreat with a former church. Uh, now, keeping in mind, I discovered my freedom in Christ like in 94, 95 when I got in the music business and and did what most people do right when you first discover your freedom in Christ, which is, you know, abuse it. Uh, but these pastors I was with, they had just discovered it, so they were like drinking like it's 1994. And and it wasn't. It was like 2008. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, my gosh, you guys, we, we, this is going to end very poorly. Yeah. Um, and on that trip was uh, a friend of mine, a fellow pastor, who I knew was 25 years sober out of um, AA. He had been a raging alcoholic and was to, had just celebrated his 25-year. So, uh, and, and by the way, this guy is a godly man. He didn't say anything. He didn't make a big deal out of it. But, you know, in, in that context, those guys could have made some better decisions in bearing with that. So that's just one issue. Um, but why it matters for us to get this stuff right now is that those issues tend to break churches apart. Those issues tend to cause enormous amounts of division and uh, divisiveness and and anger and church splits, you know. Um, And Paul's throwing down some, hey, don't make those things such a big deal that it's going to break you apart because there's a world outside, for even Christ did... uh, did not please himself, uh, as it is written, verse 3, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. That is a quote from Psalm 69.9, which is David talking about Jesus and, and saying that the insults of um, that were given unto David were not insults on David. They were actually insults on God. And the idea that Paul is getting here is that, look, out in the world, there's a whole lot of people insulting God, and they're, therefore they're insulting you. Uh, and we're, goodness, in our current context i don't know i've I've been alive 51 years and i've never seen it like this in our culture at least in western culture where uh the the media the are are literally blatantly anti-christian anti-christianity in their posture toward us it's like insult by proxy yes and we are the proxy yeah (laughs) yeah because and, and they think they're insulting us right but at the end of the day, if they're insulting us for our idea that when a, that a, 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 a woman is an adult female, if they're insulting us for that, they're actually insulting God because God is the one who created a man and woman. And so those insults that we're getting from outside are actually insults on us, but they're, they're God's insults at the end of the day. So for it's like that's, there's the battle that is outside the church coming at us and for us inside the church, it's important that we find a way to build, whether it's unity, whatever word you want to call, so that we have a safe place to be as Christians together, safe from the outside world. There was an article that you had posted uh, on your Facebook page this week, um, talking a little bit about what you just mentioned um, in the, you know, what is a woman definition? Mm. <laughs> As if that needed to be explained or defined, um, but but here we are in 2022, and this is a conversation that's happening in obviously in America. You know, it's it's like you've said before. 
these convers- some of these conversations, many of the conversations that we're having here in the West are not being debated or being had in, con- in other countries around the world, especially in our Af- African villages that we're a part of or in Haiti yeah. or in Guatemala or Uganda. And it's, I might add, five years ago, it weren't happening here either, right? Yeah, fair. Like, just five quick years in three quick years, we're, we're actually having the conversation to define on a national level, federally defining what is a woman, what is a man. And you posted this article by Heather Hying, who is a biologist. Yeah. Uh, evolutionary biologist. Right. And, and by the way, not a Christian. Nope. Uh, I, I was hilarious. They were. Uh, I originally heard. I heard the podcast episode talking about this before I found the blog. But uh, she and her husband Brett uh, Weinstein, they were talking about this, and he says, "Imagine, you know, uh, Sarah from the Bible," and you begin to hear them talk about like using biblical references. Yeah, but then you realize real quickly they don't know what they're talking about because they don't. They're they're saying, "Was well, she? Did she have kids? Like, did she born? Like, what? Sarah? Like this central." So I only point that out to show that these are not Christians trying to drive a Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. They don't even know who Sarah is. They I, like they have no idea what book of the Bible she is. Why did they even reference it? I haven't listened to the podcast It was just yet. a, you know, it was a random uh, thing where Weinstein just brings up, you know, so they're trying to define what a woman is and go back in time. He said, so let's just take a biblical character like Sarah. Interesting. Which they even up, acknowledged a yeah, biblical character. Yeah, so it ends up in this like seven minute conversation of them literally having no idea who Sarah <laughs> was. <laughs> like, you know, you know, it's it's fine if you, if you don't know, you know, maybe even Esther or whatever, but, but Sarah was kind of central but but the point being that this is such an obvious question answer thing that you don't have to have a bible to support it right but the thing about the bible is it never contradicts science it always confirms it and what these guys were talking about in 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 the podcast and in this article was you know a, a woman is an adult human female a man is an adult uh, human male, like that's that's it. Yes, and so if you're not familiar, um, the Dark Horse Podcast um, is is a husband and wife duo. Yep, Heather Hying and Brett Weinstein. They're evolutionary biologists together, married, um, and they've been they've been uh, like team reality for the past couple years, yeah. just bringing a um, a biologist's perspective, doctoral perspective to a lot of conversations and now that this conversation of defining gender uh has is on the very forefront um she then posted an article this week uh, about this defining what what a male is and what a female is at the most basic level it's a really it's a really easy read for Mm -hmm. someone that is a um this very very well learned in a former professor um she could have got really wordy with this but she breaks it down very very plainly right yeah one of the things she writes in it was that some people imagine that because words are a social construct so too inherently are the concepts that they describe some words do describe social constructs offended justified and controversy for instance these things have no reality in the physical universe, or if they do, that reality can be negotiated by social means. And then she goes on. Many words, however, do describe an underlying reality. Words like bulldozer, grasshopper, and woman. <laughs> Bulldozers don't exist without humans. They are a human construct, but they are not a social construct. 
The distinction is important. Humans make things that have reality in the physical world. These things, therefore, uh, anthropogenic and physically real. They cannot be negotiated out of existence with further words. You can't argue a bulldozer into oblivion. By contrast, you can, under some circumstances, convince someone that they're not offended or, you know, it's talking about the, the differences of these words. Uh, grasshoppers, anyway. Her point is, is that there are things in in reality that uh, that a word describes and you can't further it out of, if, if I try to describe a woman differently, that doesn't mean she's still not a woman with it. And f- for me, w- why that conversation is so fascinating is that there are those in the church that have a legitimate conversation about whether a woman can teach a Bible on a Sunday or a Tuesday or there's, a, you know, there's all kinds of things. And over the years, we have had the luxury of being able to have those conversations uh, without it um, that would devolve into denominations and fights or whatever. But, but I don't think we have that luxury anymore to say that, look, if, if you believe that, you know, that the, the, the basic tenets of evangelicalism, right, that Christ was God, made flesh, 100% God, 100% man, that he was sinless, that he died, that he was resurrected, that the, uh, for the atonement of our sins, not just to be a good example. You believe that this is God's word, the Bible is authoritative and, and inerrant. Like, those things, like my list of things that are non-negotiables got a lot smaller in the last few years because yeah. the things that have become negotiable in the real, in the real world have become way bigger. And uh, it's important for us to be able to say that uh, there are legitimate disagreements inside of a church or churches about doctrinal issues like that. But in my mind, this is where Paul's saying, but man, you guys got to get together and you got to get, you know, you got to get along in this stuff so that we can, uh, again, the outside world right now. So in a church world, it's kind of woman teach on a Sunday, uh, in the world around us, the outside world is, is that even a woman at all? And what makes her a woman? Right. You know, the, and those those are far far more dangerous conversations. And the more that we are having those conversations um, outside, the more closed in the church gets. And again, back to the community idea, which is that this is important for us to get along because. We can't. Um, Rod Dreher wrote a book called The Benedict Option. I don't know if you ever read it. Uh, it was a classic Dreher book where it was utterly fascinating, and you end up going, Well, now what do I do about that? Like, I don't, it was very fascinating, but I don't know what to do about it. But his idea was uh, talking about the Benedictine monks, and there was a time when the Benedictine monks had to go into hiding to save Christianity. And so his concept, this is five years ago, by the way, was do we need to withdraw from the culture so that we can. Um, so that we can save Christianity. Preservation. Yeah. And I, uh, I, don't, I can't find even a remote biblical basis for that. Um, God bless Dreher, and maybe he's right. Uh, what I see instead was what seemed to be what Paul was saying, which is you're still going to be in this world, uh, but I need you to have a place where you can refuel, refresh. It's called a church where you can be safe uh, so that you can go back out into the world. Um, a, a, a good example right now of what we're seeing in our world is this. We uh, we spent, I don't know, I mean, I've been around, so we're talking about, you know, Brian Adams in the 80s. That was also the year when Jerry Falwell was spending, you know, t- tens, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars um, on getting into politics for Christianity so we could influence the world through politics. And 
I don't know how you feel, 2022, that didn't seem to work very well. Right. And then we completely ignored the tech world. And so right now, a Wall Street Journal article that we read uh, a, a few weeks ago, uh, what we've got right now, the, the main people that are controlling the thoughts and the ideas and the language. Uh, so Babylon B this past week gets uh, pulled off of Twitter because of hateful conduct. Uh, and it was a tweet that actually celebrated the swimmer, whatever her name is, Leah, as man of the year, which was, was kind of funny. Um, but that literally got them pulled off, and the only way they could get back on Twitter is if they removed that tweet. That's amazing. Right? Now, Twitter, Facebook, Google, those three, I don't know if it would include anybody else, maybe Apple, control all of the information that's getting into the world right now. No doubt. And so do we want more Christians or less Christians in those worlds? Answer is, of course, more. But this Wall Street Journal piece from... Uh, February, it was a, uh, an op-ed piece by a guy named Peter Rex that uh, was talking about, like, there is a very, there's a lack of Christians to, to the point almost of where it's uh, like a dearth, like a, a famine of Christianity in Silicon Valley. They're, they're acknowledging this? Uh, well, they're not. They are not. But uh, Peter Rex writes it in here in, in, in this piece, and it's an op-ed piece. Uh, there was an episode of uh, HBO Silicon Valley, which I watched a couple of episodes of. Um, little known part of Darren's history is I spent about two years as a headhunter working and recruiting for uh, <laughs> high-tech companies in the Silicon Valley. It's yeah. random. But he is saying this, that the truth is right now in Silicon Valley that Christians, uh, he, and he talks about religion across the world, but Christians specifically uh, – there are there are none of in in so like a fraction of them. So um, I'm trying to find the actual statistic in this article. Uh, it seems like he, according uh, in avoiding religious believers, the tech industry fails to reflect America's religious diversity. Around half of tech workers identify as atheist or agnostic, according to a 2018 Lincoln Network su- uh, survey. The number stands out even in an increasingly secular U.S. Yet the gap is no surprise where tech recruits workers. Uh, Seattle, Bay Area are among the U.S. metropolitan areas with the highest percentages of religiously unaffiliated residents. Um, so less than half are Christians. And, of course, that uh, what he doesn't uh, talk about there, which I don't think he's, is that how many of them would be Muslim or sure. Hindi because a lot of them uh, tech right. guys are coming from those countries. I know this because I recruited them there. Yeah. Uh, and the point is right now, if you're a Christian in that environment, having a lack of Christians means that that's where the hostility is coming from towards Christianity. And we would want Christians in that environment. We have people in our church who work for Google, who work for Facebook, and we want them there like, because we need more of them there. The, uh, withdrawing from them doesn't seem like a very good option, but having a church that they can feel safe and loved in is a pretty good idea. We're in a cultural war, and so what are we going to do? I mean, we're, it feels like we have one of two options, right? We can retreat, which it sounds like there's some retreating happening. Um, or we can respond and go go into the war from the flanks, down the middle, embedded in enemy territory. And it's really, a, this is a culture versus kingdom conversation. And are we going to let culture affect the kingdom or the kingdom affect the culture? And that, honestly, Mo, is exactly what the next verses 
set up for, which is the kingdom affecting the culture. He says in verse 5, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we are together as a church of, with one mind and one voice, uh, that brings glory to God. In the, anybody can divide over stuff. The world is proving that over and over again. The more secular, human, progressive you see, uh, that they're dividing and eating each other. Like division is not uh, <laughs> division's easy. Division is is the human is Romans one is division. Which is why you can see two guys who are fully politically aligned, ideologically aligned, uh, and then one gets up and slaps the other one on live television because he makes a joke that the other one finds distasteful. That is a secular human engagement of where, uh, and, and you could probably, I'm sure it's unfolding right now, there are the, the left-wing people that think that what Will Smith did was horrible and violent and should be, you know, whatever, and the others, uh, the Chris Rock people think that it was chivalrous and, you know, uh, oh, wait, wrong way. Will, yeah, what am I getting there? Will Smith, people that think that Will Smith was right. uh, protecting his wife. Um, or that Will Smith should be arrested. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Carry him off in cuffs. Right. Um, but they're all fighting each other over Anybody can fight over something that's disputable. Right. But the Holy Spirit together with one mind and one voice, when the church does that right, when we're, when we're crushing it with that, and I really, in a little bit, it talks even about the Holy Spirit. I think this only happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. But when we're crushing it there, that brings glory to God. And, and glory, the Hebrew word glory, we've talked about it uh, multiple times, is kavod, it's weight, it's heft, it's meaning. It's, it's literally, the, the, when you're bringing glory to God, it's not just saying glory to God. And, the, you know, glory to God, glory to God, that's a great for songs. But bringing glory to God is literally bringing weight purpose, meaning to God himself, that this is the God of the universe and that he is here. We are here to bring him glory. And with one voice, uh, one mind, we bring him glory, weight and heft. We do that in our church in multiple ways. One that we talk about a lot is setting slaves free. That brings glory to God. Even people that I know that are questioning their faith, friends of mine will say, but the thing that keeps me holding on, Darren, is what, what you guys are doing at your church. It's, there's something that's, that's motivating you to do that, and I don't know what it is, but that's different. And with one mind and one voice, our church brings glory to God. And on any given Sunday, there is somebody sitting in there that speaks in tongues and somebody that thinks that's crazy. There's somebody that thinks a woman should be a pastor, and there's somebody who thinks that she shouldn't even wear uh, un, you know, nice clothes. Like th- the entire spectrum of, of beliefs are in our church family. And, and sometimes, it, man, it, sometimes we were bumping into each other, and there's little spats and arguments. But when we come together, we get to bring glory to God in a way that Silicon Valley can't in a way that they surely don't because they've set themselves actually to be God. The rest of that Wall Street Journal article talks about that they set the tech up itself to be a God. That's right. That's the, right. The tech, and, and which is true. Like if you're now the arbiter of what is a hateful thing and what is not a hateful thing, if you're the arbiter of uh, 
you're, you're, you're putting yourself in a position of God because now you're defining morality. And this is a, a huge topic and conversation that's happening on the world stage right now. This idea of um, AI that is artificial intelligence that is absolutely going to the next level. And one of the things that um, that humanists are are kind of afraid of is this moment of what they're calling singularity. And when singularity happens, as they define it, is when basically the machine outthinks the human. Yeah. They don't know what could happen. So basically, we're getting we're getting to the point where over the next I don't know decade two decades from now to right. where um, machine learning reaches a point to where it's making decisions uh, has all the data and information that's computated at you know an, an amount that's not even fathomable in a, in a time that's within seconds yeah that overrides human interaction or decision making in this moment of singularity <laughs> They don't know what could happen or will happen, but this is but this is what's happening. This transhumanistic ideology is at the forefront of a, a I hate to say this phrase, but this new world order that's being ushered in is very transhumanistic. They're putting more trust into machine learning than in human learning, and it is it is a primary focus of world governments as we speak. And what's what ought to give everyone a lot of pause is that the AI technology itself is being programmed by somebody that is putting code in there to tell it what to do. Even the decisions, if it's AI and it's going to learn, it's, there's, it's still learning based upon a, a moral code that somebody... Yeah. So when a, when a tech company is doing that they are now putting themselves in the position of a god because somebody has to you know somebody drinking a dr pepper and slamming cheetos is over there making decisions on what is moral and what is not and uh, i love dr pepper and cheetos yeah yeah and and uh, you would certainly uh, <laughs> <laughs> but i would certainly trust your codes more than that but their theology yeah is is so humanistic yeah that 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 is the danger like that's the great irony of the entire situation and and I would add to this idea that I personally think, believe, that whatever they're shooting for for singularity will never actually be achieved because another word for singularity is digital consciousness. Yes. Okay? And consciousness is one of the core things that make us who we are. It can't be measured it's not just synapses. That's why a lot of neurosurgeons come to Christ because they see and experience things with people in consciousness that, like the very fact that I am here and I know I am here, and, I have, and the question of asking, like, why am I here? Those are all purely conscious human things that I don't think, like when you talk to, to Elon Musk, he thinks within, you know, however many years we're going to have this done. But sure. most guys who understand consciousness from a neurosurgeon idea are like, mm, there's no way. This is so much more sophisticated than than just uh, ones and zeros. But that doesn't mean that that isn't the goal, and it doesn't mean that whatever version of that that they create 
you know, if you th- if you put Antichrist in the f- in the the purest form of what Antichrist means, which is in place of Christ, it creates a moral order, a God that is uh, deciding what is right and wrong, what is good and evil. Uh, the very thing that Satan wanted from the very beginning was to be able to, you know, decide that that's what Adam and Eve wanted. The knowledge of the tree of good and evil wasn't Absolutely. now that they just knew what was right and wrong. It was that they could decide what was right yes. and wrong. That started in the garden. Nothing's changed. Nothing has changed. Right here. And and like, isn't it like right now, like the, 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 the you, you played a little video a minute ago, like the New World Order... Uh, it's like in the old days that had to be like in a Kirk Cameron movie, but now it's like that just happened the, this morning or yesterday. Yeah, yesterday morning. So uh, in Dubai this week, of course is, it was Dubai. Yeah, um, is the World Government uh, Conference, um, World World Government Summit is being held in Dubai yesterday and today. This is separate, completely separate from the World Economic Forum. It's another governing body of like 150 countries that are coming together once a year. This is their ninth annual World Government Summit to talk about, uh, you know, implementing different things. And they have different themes each year, um, how to implement different things uh, on the on the world stage. And within 30 seconds of the intro, the host introing. So this is the opening. This is the opening, and I'm going to play this clip. The opening of the of the summit, the host uh, says this. World order. She says. And the title of this session: Are we ready for a new world order? Which sounds, you know, it's, it sounds so. It sounds so, like the opening of a Kirk Cameron movie, or uh, you know, of the. No a Bond movie. Kirk. No, no disrespect at all to Mr. Cameron. But yeah, it sounds like an opening of a, of a movie. Our, our, she is acknowledging this is like the opening to the ceremony of this summit. The topic is Are you ready for a new world order? And it's, it's not even. It's, it's not a conspiracy anymore. And I'm so, I'm just so worn out over that. This is where we are. I mean, if if you if you've paid attention at all over the past two years, we are moving towards a a a a, a world alignment that is centralized, and you don't have to look very far to see that that is happening. And even you know, in the news today, you know, there the the world is trying to figure out how to buy oil in rubles, not in petrodollars. Um, this is this is happening as we speak, and it was supposed to already have happened between, I think, China and Russia, but they said it's going to take a little while longer to figure out digitally. <laughs> but they, China is now wanting to buy oil from Russia, uh, not using American dollars. That's a problem. And so with all of this movement that's happening globally, the summits that are happening, these world governments gathering— Everything that we've read about, that we've talked about, that we know is laid out in Scripture um, is moving towards that. And it should not surprise us, and it should also not cause us to retreat, but to respond. Yeah, that's the point that is, that's really crucial for us as a, as a church, as the church, the global church, is um, we have the opportunity now 
whatever your view of eschatology is, okay, if you're an amillennialist, a premillennialist, a dispensation, whatever, there's all kinds of uh, options. Um, the one option that Jesus made crystal clear is that he is going to create a new heaven and a new earth or to recreate this heaven and this earth, depending on how you look at it. And so there is a quote-unquote new world order coming, and this is the anti-in-place-of-Christ version of that. Yeah. Because the world that Christ is going to bring is a world of peace and justice. And and I do feel like it's almost like he's given us thousands of years of human history so that we can actually, by the time he comes, we're like, okay, well, look, we tried all. We've exhausted yeah, every. We tried <laughs> possible situation they just they all end up imploding because they all are based upon some man's version of right and wrong and some law and justice and and inadequate and so he will set that up that that what there's and if it's funny if you if you listen to what some of these guys are saying as a guy that's traveled a lot and if i if i wasn't a christ follower if i didn't understand that there is no such thing as a human version of this government and that the bigger government gets, the worse it gets, I could see why someone would buy into this idea because there are parts of the world where uh, injustice rules, where, again, we're, we're recording this you know, on Apple technology created by minerals that are mined by children in Africa. In the Genesis 3 world, unless you decide to become Amish and churn your own butter and no, no more zippers. Can they wear zippers? Is what they can't wear? I buttons. think that's I right. I think those zippers. I don't know what was wrong with them, but somehow... Unless you go completely into that world, anything you do, touch, drive, uh, eat is touched in some way by injustice in a Genesis 3 world. It just is. And so there is no version of that that a man can create that doesn't end with somebody being oppressed with it. And so the idea of a global idea of a reset of this sounds so good on paper and thousands and thousands of years of world history have proven over and over again implicitly, demonstrably, that that is going to end poorly no matter what. And so what these guys are doing right now is taking advantage of what, uh, you know, the, the last few years of COVID policies, the, la- uh, the, the, the war in Ukraine right now, the, the climate, quote unquote, crisis. Like there, there are things that they're taking advantage of right now using, uh, it was uh, Ari, no, what was uh, Obama's chief of staff, Rahm Emanuel, who said, never waste a good crisis. Yeah. And um, and they're they're not wasting this crisis. Um, there is a uh, there is an agenda. It's not a conspiracy thing because they're not even hiding it. They're actually saying that, but they're they're saying this is a good thing. So what we can do as a church, churches is go the Benedict option, which is just not a Jesus thing at all. Uh, Jesus said, "Occupy until I come." That doesn't not hide and bury yourselves, but occupy. And so for us. In our churches, if we can find a way to bear the, uh, those who are weak, if we can find a way to not have to pick a fight over everything. And by the way, we can find a way. Paul is giving us the way. The Holy Spirit is giving us the way to do this. With one mind, with one voice, we can glorify God in this world. Because I don't know if Jesus is going to return in our lifetime. I keep thinking, well, maybe it seems like he sure needs to because we're kind of, Running out of runway. Right? Yeah. <laughs> We're the first generation in history that actually has the power to destroy ourselves, the entire human race. Yeah. Like that option has never been available before. Mm-hmm. The entire human race could be destroyed with a couple of buttons or, you know, with a president that, you know, gets up in the middle of the night and might be having a little moment uh, of dementia and hits a button. Like we could, we could literally restart uh, 
the, the planet and destroy the human race. So I feel like, man, I, it sure be a good time for Jesus to return. It feels like we're running out of options here. But if he doesn't, and it's another hundred years of this, I want us, I can't speak for any other church, but man, I sure want conduit to have looked back and we, we'd be like the church at Rome where we brought with one mind and one voice that we brought glory to God. We didn't try to world dominate. We didn't try to create a worldwide brand. We just did the next right thing in front of us. We loved our neighbors. We fed those who were hungry. We loved our enemies. Uh, we loved each other. And with one mind and one voice, we glorified God. Yeah, here's the thing. Over the next 10 years, over the next five years, dare I say, over the next couple of years, things are going to get even harder globally. I mean, difficult. I mean, there is a there is a food shortage that is that is that coming down the pipeline. There's inflation. There's going to be here. Here's the thing. Even though it's going to be harder, um, we have so much opportunity as the church um, to represent the kingdom. And you talk about enhancing and expanding our feeding programs across the, the globe. Mm-hmm. We're going to have so much opportunity to do that. Yeah, and maybe in our own backyard. In our own backyard, uh, all the way down to our friends in Haiti, to our friends in Uganda, and all the different villages there across the world. We're going to have so much opportunity to represent the kingdom that is on the offense. Yeah, not retreating. Yeah, because back in verse four, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. Speaking of actually the Old Testament, what he would have been writing about. So that through endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. You know, I, I've, when you start talking endurance, that's an implication, uh, implicit, that uh, explicit, both that there is, you have to endure it. Like when Shannon and I had our little vacation in uh, December and it was so amazing and all that, I didn't endure any of that. I enjoyed that. <laughs> right. But we're, their endurance, it implies a, a suffering of people that have to do it. And, and the thing that is, that I don't know that people fully appreciate yet, because you have, unless you've experienced it, you don't appreciate it. But when you go through a trial, uh, a hard time, you've endured it with other people, mm-hmm. you, there's a relationship and a community that is formed in that bond that is, you don't experience it anywhere else. Yeah. Sebastian Junger's tribe was the first time I'd ever seen it written about from a secular humanist, like an anthropological way. That that, he, of course, he would say that's how we've evolved to need each other. <laughs> sure. Um, but I believe it's how we were designed, and the the great gift that God gave us is that in the Genesis three world, that there was going to be suffering. Genesis three, there, you know, you're going to you're going to go to your garden, and it's not going to provide. You're going to have division. It's but the gift that God gave us in that was that even though that's going to happen in that, if you will stick together, you're going to develop deep and meaningful relationships that you can't get any other way. It's why when we've been to Haiti, you know, uh, Bob Gresh called it a misery theme park. Oh, wow. Which from time to time, <laughs> I have looked that. back and thought, that's really one of the funniest things. And so, like, when the kidnapping started, I'm like, well, they just added a new ride <laughs> at the, the Misery theme park. Oh, um, man. But when, when you're there, you see friends who are poor in money. By no means would you consider them to have any sort of prosperity. And they are joyful and hopeful because they are rich in relationship. Yeah. 
And the, the reason is, is that they have had to depend on each other in a way that you and I don't have to. Mm-hmm. I have lived next door to my neighbors for going on four or five years. I love them. They're wonderful human beings. And my life does not depend on whether or not Glenn and Vicky come home from the cabin this weekend. Right. Like my life will go on with or without that. In Haiti, in a nation like that, uh, their lives depend on each other. When yeah. we send money to help a family with food, they're they're helping dozens of families with food. Yes. They're doing laundry with each other. They're, they're, they're literally 100% interdependent, and we will not experience that any other way except through suffering and endurance. And so um, I, I don't know what the future holds for us. I just don't. But if what you say is right, and it's very plausible, on the one hand, uh, I'm not, there's a lot of unknown, a lot of uncertainty, and so that can get really scary. On the other hand, the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide brings me hope. Because that means whatever happens, I know this, man, Mo Tiemann has got my back. That's right. Right? I've got Mo's back. We're not going down alone on this thing. We're gonna, and as a church family, bonding together, you know, so many people, at least right now, you know, even in the two four two group, small groups, they they don't. Oh, I don't really want a small group. I don't really need a small group. I, when they need it, it's it's almost too late, because you need it most when you're in a trial. When you're you, in, in you know what's interesting is right before the pandemic, or, you know, the years leading up to 2020, um, we had a hard time, a more difficult time establishing small groups. Yeah, I would say a hard time is it the right word? Yeah, like is this even worth trying to do? Post pandemic, if I can say that. Um, we haven't had a hard time establishing small groups at all. People are thriving, mm-hmm. d- desiring, begging, um, of looking for groups to be a part of in their yeah. neighborhoods. Yeah, and it's it's this almost innate thing that has been birthed uh, from this experience that they are they're truly searching for and finding community. Yeah, in the best ways. Because think about if you're not a Christ follower, and you like just like let's just say church, just a, a church gathering on a Sunday. And I know that a lot of people make a lot of comments like, you know, church is meant to be in circles and not rows. All those things are good, good ideas and thoughts. But, but what other form of life do you w- at least once a week sit in a room and take a look at yourself and 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 reflect and maybe make some changes, mm-hmm. like if you're mowing your lawn on a Sunday. If you're like so few people look at their own lives and make changes in general, like I, I read a, a statistic once that it's like, you know, it's like five to 10 percent of the people after their 20s will make any significant changes in their life. Wow. Because you're kind of just because it takes it, it's hard. You, yeah. You've got your, your neural pathways are sort of, you know, put in and you're, you know, I'm just this is who I am. And um, but in a church, you've at least got that. Now, there's some self-reflection. There's some, OK, God would have me do this. And boy, I really did yell at my wife on the way over here. And that, I got to change that. I got so, so you've at least you're starting with that as a basis for a benefit of getting together on a Sunday. And if you add into that the idea that the world is kind of nutty, I mean, we, you know, we literally in my part of town, I, I live in like the rural, the southeast, we call it the sane part of Williamson County. Like it's a uh, people that have moved out a little bit further. And, you know, we had literally had a College Grove murder like. Friday night. I mean, you're talking like the, the group chats were blowing up and, uh, and, and man, God bless this family. I have no idea still what happened with it, but, 
but this, these, the, the bigger your house, the more isolated you can become. The, the bigger your lot, the more isolated you can become. And the more isolated you become, the more unhealthy you become. And so our mental health crisis will not be solved by mo- more social media, by more Zoom meetings, but it will be solved by more of what Christ, the endurance taught in the scriptures, and that is a group setting, working together. Because uh, the truth is, is you know, if we joke about, you know, our own country, but, you know, in Haiti, when I hear people talk about, like, you know, creating something that's sustainable, it, that makes me laugh. I'm like, sustainable? These people can survive, man. <laughs> right. they, they survive crazy stuff. And they do it because they depend on each other. And we... Here, if God pulls the rug out from under us, um, we ought to see that there may be a gift in that, that God might not be uh, judging the church as much as giving a gift to the church in our future, that there is a hope in this, that um, in, the, in the words of Sebastian Younger in, in Tribe, he says that whatever the blessings of modern day technology are, and they are truly miraculous, they are also killing us. And that is a secular humanist anthropologist you know war journalist saying that that these uh, you know the uh, what fwad called the trap door of the garage she called yeah. it a trap door uh that's killing us in our hearts and in our souls wow i mean we we covered a lot of ground in the past 60 minutes <laughs> from right <laughs> from musical topics i only had one cup of coffee too <laughs> to what is a woman uh to new world order um to unity in the kingdom. And it's such a great reminder. I love that we have this deeper podcast because there's a lot of things that we were able to talk about today that we can't always get to on a Sunday. Uh, we can't always share um, on, on a Sunday in the 30 minutes that we have, or in your case on this past Sunday, in the 15 minutes that you had. Um, we're going to be wrapping up Romans here in the next couple weeks. Yeah. Um, the plan is to wrap up Romans chapter 16 on Easter Sunday. Yeah. Uh, which is coming in, in three, two and a half weeks is yeah. Easter Sunday. Yeah. When we were getting to that, I was like, oh no, what are we going to do? It's Easter and I got Romans 16 and we, you know, God's, but I just, as I was praying about it, I'm, I'm reading this list of people, one that was in prison with Paul, one that risked their lives for Paul. And it was like, oh, they all did this because of the resurrection. Like if the resurrection didn't happen, nobody going to risk their life with Paul. So true. You know, it's one thing to say about somebody like a terrorist who's going to crash a plane that they believed it, but these guys would have known that it was false. Yeah, uh, Paul would have known that this wasn't true. And so for him to believe it and to die for it like that, uh, there's something to that miraculous. And that's the idea, like, because of what we've seen, come and see what the Lord has done, because that's what a witness does. You just tell the truth about what you've seen, what you've heard, what you experienced, and the truth— um, if, if, if it's true, that's a big question. And what are you willing to do if it's actually true? So we invite you to come and see on Easter Sunday, April the 17th. We're going to have uh, four services that day. All the information is on our website. Um, it's it's just an exciting season for us. We've got a couple special speakers coming up soon as well. Uh, we've got several events in the queue. Again, all of the information of everything that's happening at Conduit, including some of the mission projects that we talk about on this podcast. If you're new to the podcast, you can find out very specifically the different projects that we are a part of at conduitmission.org. It's a separate website that just gives way more detail on all of the different mission initiatives that uh, Conduit is spearheading. 
conduitmission.org. Again, you can find all of the information on our website and all our socials and at YouTube as well. Look forward to catching up with you again next week.